0: Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told to the house of David, saying, Syria's forces are deployed in Ephraim. So his heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. So they were shaking in fear, like trees shake in the wind. That was the idea. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Ahaz, you and Shir Jashub, your son, at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. And say to him, Take heed and be quiet. Take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint hearted. For these two stubs of smoking firebrands, for their fierce anger of Rezin and Syrian the son of Ramalia. Because Siri and Ephraim and the son of Ramalia have plotted evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and trouble it, and let us make a gap in its wall for ourselves, and set a king over them, the son of Tabul. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin, And within sixty-five years, Ephraim will be broken, so there will not be a people." The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramalia's son. And if you will not believe, listen to this, if you will not believe, pay attention, if you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. Everybody hear that? Moreover, the Lord said again to Ahaz, saying, ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then He said, hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, Matthew chapter 1. In verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, meaning had sexual relations, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid or shake like trees in the wind to take take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 7 verse 14 saying behold the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which is translated God with us. Lord as we undertake a study of this prophetic statement of Isaiah and seeing it fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1 and realizing here we are days away from Christmas yet another Christmas but the focal point and the sign, the proof resonating throughout all of history is that you declared that the Lord himself will give us a sign that a virgin will conceive and bear a son and will call his name Emmanuel God with us Holy Spirit As you spoke to Ahaz and through the struggles of his own life, as we come into this room with the struggles of our own, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would bring us to the end of ourselves, that we would come in alignment with what you desire for us, that we would yield. And Lord, I pray that you'd minister and I pray that you'd touch and I pray that you would pour your love upon this place, that all who would be present would be forever changed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, have a seat. This um, this passage of Scripture, interestingly enough, takes place where God had promised to King David a kingdom that would be forever, that from him would come the Messiah through the Lion of the tribe of Judah. That this messianic prophecy that, that Jesus would come from David and come through the tribe of Judah Now, after David has passed and Solomon's passed, the kingdom is split. There's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And Ahaz is now the king of the southern realm. Now, the northern kingdom has gotten together with Syria. They have surrounded, and they're getting ready to invade. And Ahaz is realizing that he's in trouble. So he goes down to make an assessment of the supplies that he has because he knows he's getting ready to be attacked. So he goes down to the fuller's field to the aqueduct to see if the water's still flowing and that under the siege, they're still going to have water to be able to sustain them. He's doing everything in his power to try to hold together the kingdom. And in other portions of the scripture, we also find that he's looking at taking the wealth in the storehouses to try to buy off Syria so that he can at least pay them off so that he only has to fight one enemy, and that would be the tribes coming from, from the northern kingdom. And so Ahaz is doing everything in his natural power to try to fix this, this predicament that he's in, and he's managing with his own resources. And he's scared. He's scared. He's so frightened that it says that not only was he trembling, but the people were trembling, as trees uh, in the in the forest when the wind blows are shaking, and the people were shaking like these trees. And Ahaz is not the greatest king, although he's in the lineage of Judah, he is a wicked king. Uh, In the previous scriptures, we find out that he'd already offered his son as a sacrifice; he had killed his own son as a sacrifice to a pagan god, and in Judah itself, he had set up pagan temples. This man is so far from the Lord, it's unbelievable. And some of you this morning can relate to him. How you ended up here and why you're here is beyond you. And you're struggling. You're struggling just to sit here. You think, God wants nothing to do with me. I couldn't be further from him. I am the most wretched sinner. I have the biggest struggles. Uh, God doesn't even want to give me the time of day. And I just want you to know something. He, he, he loves you. I want you to know how much he loves you. He loves you so much that he's willing to even reach out to you as he did to Ahaz. He's willing to even give you a sign. He wants to establish your name in the Lamb's book of life that you would have an eternity with him. He wants to resolve that which separates you from him, your sin. He wants to take it and pay the penalty for it so that your case is cleared and and, uh, his file is put on your account and your file is put on his account. You know, if, if you go to the DA and you see those criminals that have rap sheets, their files are as thick as can be, and, and Jesus wants to take that and put that in his file, and he's going to give you his little thin nothing file and give that to you and impute his righteousness to you so that there's going to be a transaction by faith that your life would be transformed today. The Bible says nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Now, you can reject so great a salvation, you can desire that you don't want a sign from God. You can can declare that you don't want to have your name established. But it's interesting, Ahaz is much like a lot of us, that when we get into a predicament in life, we tend to turn to the natural for help. We want to figure out any way we can figure this out on our own. We don't want to yield in prayer. We don't want to yield in faith to a God that wants to bring our life into alignment with his and, and a lot of us think we could never go to God. We're too distant from him. I, I've, I've, I've killed my own son. I, I've, I've set up pagan temples. Uh, I, I would rather trust in, in the funds in my treasury to try to buy off Syria than I would want to yield to God and submit to him and have his authority in my life. And so we've done everything in our power to try to put together some sort of a resolution so that we don't have to deal with God. We want to operate our life in the natural realm much like Ahaz. But in verse 4... When Isaiah approached Ahaz, he said, "Take heed and be quiet. Don't be afraid or faint-hearted." He says these two stubs, Syria and 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 Ephraim, Rezin and Ramalia. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna stop them. I hold the heavens in the span of my hand. There's nothing that that, that I can't do. I will resolve this. Trust me. And all Ahaz can do is, all he can see is what's in front of him. There's massive armies, and God is giving him a promise, but, but he, he, all he can see with his physical eyes is this mounting mess in front of him. And all, all he can do, it's, it's, it's those things where people say this, and, and I hear it often, all I can do now is pray. It's one of the most ridiculous statements I've ever heard. Prayer, prayer should be first, middle, last, and continual. Because prayer is what, what causes those, um, those forces that are massing on the horizon to dissipate. And, and by faith, through prayer, you start to see God's hand. That And, and we're going to see this in the, the other portions of Daniel 3. God is in complete control. He is in complete control. And what he wants today more than anything else is to bring your life in alignment with his so that you will trust him that he's in control that nothing will happen to you that isn't working together for good in some capacity and some purpose in a fallen world, that no matter what you're going through, God's working it together for good. You can't see it, you struggle, and all you can see are the, are the forces amassing against you. All you can see is the misery ahead of you, and all you do instead of pray is, is you seek to figure out in the physical realm some sort of remedy, whether it's to take money out of the treasury to pay off Syria or to go into a assess the aqueduct in the fuller's field to see if there's enough water to survive a siege. And God looks at, at, at Ahaz and he says, Take heed and be quiet. Calm down. You have been worrying, and I have news for you all of your worrying is accomplishing nothing. Don't fear, be faint hearted. Now, all of us go through an Ahaz moment, all of us go through a time in our life where we struggle with this. We struggle with all the forces that are arrayed against us. We think that, that God is absent. How could he allow this to happen? God is in the business of, of amassing these forces so you can see how big he is. And, and, and you, you, you get your eyes off of the Lord and you get them on the forces and you crumble like, you know, like a direct mailer during an election. You just, you know, I don't know. I was trying to think of Something. And, and as, you, as you go through this and you see this, this is what Ahaz is doing. He's trying in the natural realm to overcome this instead of yielding to God. And God is saying, take heed, be quiet, and don't be afraid. Now, I know this feeling. I'm, I'm living it right now. A you know, roller coaster. And, and you know, I, I've been guilty in the last months of, of making you have to endure my life by my illustrations that are probably boring you to death. Uh, some of you. It's boring me. How's that? But I will say this one aspect in this idea of a roller coaster that everything I expect God to do, he doesn't. And he pulls his sheet right out from under me and I'm, I'm left going, I, I don't understand that. I had a great one. This, this is a new one. It's new. And it has, it has nothing to do with an election. I, I, uh, I got a call Uh, Well, the the Tuesday of the election, my my dearest friend, Dr. Crilly, uh, came down ill. And then after the election, I went to to Poland and London. I came back, and when I got back, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, Dr. Crilly passed away. She died. I had a chance to go and say goodbye to her, You know, prayed with her. It was sweet. And uh, she was a childless widow. She was an only child. Her husband was an only child. They have no heirs. Uh, when my mother died, Alice said to the four of us—my older brother, my two older sisters, and myself—you're my children. I want to leave you my my estate. Now, I've never been left to anything that I know of for the most part. My, my great uncle left me a little something years ago, and you know, there's just <laughs> I don't have that rich relative I'm waiting to bank in on. You know what I'm saying? And so she said this. Now, her wealth—I uh, was named as a second uh, executor. So my sister's the first; I'm the second. And um, I I never really looked at her wealth, but she discussed it in times we sat. And I I assume just by our conversation, she's worth about 3 to $4 million. And and she said to me when we were sitting one time, I want to give you my house. And I said, really? She said, yes. Now, I've heard her say that countless times to other people. Because as a... (laughs) As a childless widow with no family, she has to keep people close to care for, and she used her money to do that. And I, I laughed at it, and I've seen that through the course of my life as a minister, and I don't like money to ever come in between a relationship. And I kind of giggle and say, oh, Alice, she says, no, I'm serious, Rob. I want to give you my house. I said, Alice, you, you said that to so-and-so, and I went down the list of the people she said it to, and she says, no, Rob, I'm serious. I said, are you serious enough that I'd bring an attorney down and we transfer it? She said, Yes. I said, okay. So I called Mike Balickian who's a member of our congregation. He's a will and trust attorney. I said, Mike, we're going out to San Diego. We're going to transfer the house. He said, great, let's go. And as I'm getting ready to go, I called my sister to tell her because I didn't want any family issues because my sister's visiting her every night, brings her dinner. I didn't want to have any issues with that. And Nancy says, please don't because I'm going to bring my attorney and I'm going to work that out. And I said, all right, that's fine. I, I, I want nothing. I was just trying to you know, do what Alice asked, and, and I, I don't want to issue with there's no money that's, that's worth a division of a family. Amen. Did you hear that? Yeah. And so I backed away from, I said, Nancy, it's all yours. And she says, okay, I'll, I'll have my attorney do it. I said, great. I didn't think anything else of it. Alice dies. I assume that she never transferred her will. It just, I thought about it. And then Nancy calls me, she says, Rob, um, I, I, she left me in charge of everything. She transferred, it's all, it's all ours. I said, wow. <laughs> Three to four million divided four ways. $750,000 to pay off the house. I could do this. I'm laying in bed just going through the whole scenario. And this is going to be an amazing Christmas. <laughs> so I am, I'm on cloud nine. And, uh, and she says, you know, we're going to immediately transfer some funds. I said, oh, great. And, and thrilled about that. And then she, call, she calls back. She says, I just want to let you know, I am going to keep the house for us, but I'm just going to split the financial side. I said, okay. Uh, I would have done all, but you're, you're going to keep the house and then split. So that's, okay, so that's 250000 He says, okay, all right, that's cool, $250,000. Not quite the house paid off, but we, you know. Her! So I readjust, readjust. And, uh, and then she calls back and she says, um, There's a will. I go, yeah, there's always been a will. She says, well, as the executor, I'm supposed to make sure the estate is given to the people named in the will. I said, are you telling me that you didn't take the assets and transfer them into it the, so that you were in charge of the executor with all the assets? You didn't do that? No. Now, she's the sweetest, the, the luckiest people in the world are people who have Nancy as a friend. Sweet as can be. And she hates conflict. And she, she just didn't know. So I thought, all right. She says, but Alice... Uh, uh, told me I was with her and we wrote a bunch of checks before she died. So I'm sending you a thirteen thousand dollar check, I'm sending Michelle a thirteen thousand dollar check. Each of the children are getting a five thousand dollar check. Your son in law Mike is gonna get a five thousand dollar check and your grandson Oliver is gonna get five thousand dollar check. So I'm okay two hundred fifty thousand now I got twenty six thousand the kids each get five. I wish I was hard but then, then then and then the five and then Oliver okay, that's cool. I'm good I'm good with that. And she says and I'm mailing the checks now. I'm like great Christmas. And so the check arrives And with the check comes an IRS bill. Stupid IRS. Now I wasn't expecting this bill. I hadn't seen my tax returns. And I had gotten a couple of fairly large honorariums in the course of last year that I just thought when you get an honorarium, you get an honorarium. I didn't realize you had to take money out of that. I I didn't realize they wanted part of it. I'd got the honorarium, they honored me. Uh, I don't know what they did to get that money. But they sent me a bill for $9,800. I'm like, what? I'm like, it's okay. Because right when I opened up the mailbox, there was a check for $13,000. And the $9,800, I thought, okay, so that's going to leave me $3,500, $3,200. Michelle's going to keep her $13,000. And, uh, <laughs> and so, so we put the checks in, and we're thrilled. And I'm going to pay the bill, and I'll have a couple other things. And it'll be a good Christmas. And I'm, I'm excited. I don't have to worry about what I thought I'd have to worry about. God, you're so good. And all the checks bounce. I call Nancy, I go, the checks bounce, what is what's going on? She said, Well, there wasn't enough money in the account, so they closed the account. I said, You didn't transfer any of the money as the executor? No, and the banker, I can know. And she says, But we're gonna rewrite the checks and they'll be ready Wednesday. This was the last Wednesday. I said, Okay, Wednesday. Still time and time for okay, Lord time. And I'm in Texas and I get the phone call on Tuesday, and she says, I'm not gonna do the checks again until in the middle of January, but you're gonna have to do those because um I'm going to contend for the house, and so I'm going to have you as the executor of the state, and I'm going to step down, and I'm going to go for the house. And I said, okay, all right, but do you realize what you're doing? She says, what do you mean? I said, you're placing me as the executor. My job is to execute the will of the people named in the will. You are now my adversary. You have pitted me against you. And so if I don't stand in opposition to you, all these people, the Red Cross, the Salvation Army, the Daughters of the American Revolution, they're all going to send their bevy of attorneys and come and get me. This is great. I appreciate it. And I'm looking going... I didn't ask for it. Now I'm in the middle of a lawsuit and put it against my sister. I don't get you. I didn't ask for it and I don't know what you're doing, God. And, I, and, and in addition, I don't know how to pay this bill. That you... <laughs> and I, I'm thinking, I gotta call Syria and borrow money. I gotta pay them off somehow and I've gotta figure out how to do it. And I'm gonna call my other sister and see if she'll, you know. And I, I'm trying to finagle and figure this. I'm laying awake, and and I, I'm not sleeping, and I'm frustrated, and 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 I'm just overwhelmed. N- maybe this is just my life and not yours, and you're tired of it. But I have to tell you, verse four: Take heed and be quiet, and don't be afraid or faint-hearted. And all I can see is a $9,800 tax bill with the IRS, and they aren't friendly. And I'm, I'm just saying, God, is this the way you give a sign? Is this how you operate? And God's saying, why are you so irritating? <laughs> me? Me? You? And God said, do you think I can't handle this? Have you ever asked me? You wanted to ask Syria? You want to go and assess the fuller's field with the aqueduct and see if you have enough money for water for the siege. Have you ever, you're a little overwhelmed. It seems overwhelming, doesn't it? Yes. Am I not big enough? Well, you are, but it just doesn't seem like you've really been doing much. And what God said, and, and and this is the other thing that comes in, and, and maybe you get this, and this is where Ahaz really ministered to me. This is this is an awful man. He 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 killed his own son, sacrificed him on the altar of a pagan god. He set up pagan altars throughout all of Judah. Now he's been promised through the lineage of the line of the tribe of Judah that, that there'd be a descendant from David's tribe that would be the Messiah. He's in line with that, but he is he is anything but godly. And when I get into a mess. When I get into a mess like that, all I can think of is all the reasons why this should happen to me. I deserve this, and you know what? Quite frankly, I do. I'm a bad money manager. That's why I'm not in charge of the church's finances. I, I should have known that when you get an honorarium, Lord, that's my mistake. I'm going through the I'm going through the list. I, I, I spend money I don't have to impress people I don't know with things I can't afford and don't need. And and I'm going through the list of all the reasons why I don't deserve his blessing. And I'm struggling with it. And I'm laying awake at night. And, and you know, you think about all the things. People, you say, boy, the attacks on you during the campaign. You have no idea. That, that was nothing. If they had really done their homework, does anybody want their life exposed? And I am laying there going, God... I don't even see why you'd want to work on my behalf. It's not so much that you can't, I don't see why you'd want to. And you drug your sorry self in here today, just like I did. And you, you got, you got a, a, a file folder of awful things and it wouldn't take us long to amass more folders. And just, let's just go to your thought life, let alone what you've done. And if you if you deny that let's just ask the person that came with you. <laughs> you. You know it's thick. Mine mine is awful. And so is yours. And and I'm I'm looking at this and I'm thinking I deserve whatever comes down the pike. And part of me is I just I will try to fight them off but I'm going to die. And I I don't get what you want from me, Lord. Fascinatingly enough, in this passage of scripture, God said to Ahaz, "It will not come to pass, nor shall it it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. They're not going to get you. I'm going to take care of it." He goes through the whole list in verse eight. He says, "The head of Syria is Damascus. The head of Damascus is Rezin, and within sixty-five years, Ephraim will be broken. I'm going to annihilate the northern tribes. All that's going to be left is Judah. I, I got this. I'm in complete control." He said, "The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramalia's son. And if you don't believe me," And pay attention. Because this is this is the most profound thing I can transfer you to, 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 to you today. He says in verse nine, if you will not believe me, surely you shall not be established. He says to Ahaz, If you don't believe me, you're done. You won't be established. You can try in the natural world to fix all this on your own and you will fail. You can give up and say God wants nothing to do with me because I killed my son and I set up pagan altars. And God's talking to you. He wants a relationship with you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not that we love God, but that he first loved us. He knows your file. He left heaven because he loves you. He sees the, 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 the massiveness of your sin, and he wants to take it from you, put it on his account, and put on your account his righteousness and impute it to you. He wants to pay the penalty for every fine you've incurred. He wants to take care of all of it right now. But if you do not believe him by faith, And all you can see are the armies amassed around you and the limited resources in which you you possess. And if and if you want to continue to struggle and try to keep the plate spinning, you will not be established. If you don't want to yield to him, if you don't want to pray to him, if you don't want to bring your life into alignment with him. And what's fascinating to me is when God says to him, If you will not believe, you will not be established, this was his response. God says in verse 10 the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask for a sign for yourself. From the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the heights above. You want a sign? Ask me for a sign. If you lack faith, ask me for a sign. Ask me for anything you want. Has anyone ever been given a blank check from God like that? Ask me for a sign. I'd be like the lottery numbers. Anyone? I mean, if we played. Ask me for a sign. One of, one of the stories that always comes to remembrance when it comes to a sign for me, this idea, sign, proof. Ask me for proof. Ask me for undeniable proof that will blow you away that you will know I'm God and you will trust me and you will yield and you will not be afraid and you will not tremble like a tree blowing in the wind in the forest. Ask me for proof that will settle your heart. What is it gonna take? What do you want? And, and the sign that always comes in remembrance is when I was a young guy in San Jose, this woman came to me, showed me the newspaper clipping of her daughter who was raped, murdered, rolled up in a blanket, doused with kerosene or gasoline, lit on fire and killed. And the, and the guys that were arrested for doing it were let off on a technicality. And she just said, where's God in all this? And I loved on her the best I could. I spoke of a God of love. I did my best to impart that to her. She was touched by it. She was still struggling. She, she, she just couldn't grasp it. She couldn't grasp that. And quite frankly, I couldn't either. And she asked me to officiate the funeral of her daughter, and all they had left were the ashes. And we we went out on the ocean off of Santa Cruz, middle of the winter, storm was raging. The the captain of the ship said, or the the sailboat said, you know, we got to do this quick because a a gale force is coming in. We got to turn the boat around and get back in. We've got just a few moments to be able to do this. And, and the, the, the kids that this daughter hung around with were all of a seedy crowd. And the the mother didn't know most of the kids that were on the boat that came for the memorial service. And they're all from the bad part of town. And, and most of them had never been on a boat, let alone seen a boat. And they're all seasick and the boat is just doing this. And everyone's just, and we're just bouncing all over the place in a storm and the white caps and it's awful. And we're all cold and shivering and the rain is falling. And, and so I've got to do the service quickly and we do the service and the mother comes out and she pours the ashes over into this and all the kids come over and they drop a rose on top of the ashes, a big pile of roses. And, and, she just, she, and I'm holding her and she just says, I wish God would give me a sign. I said, I know. And I kid you not, I've never seen it in the course of my life. I've never seen it since except for that day. The heavens opened up. There hadn't been, there hadn't been any sun all day. The heavens opened up. Rays come down right on the spot where the roses are in the ashes, right there and she's like ah and i'm like ah and at that moment a whale flukes its tail pushes the roses and she's like shivering she's so stunned and i'm weeping and she's like it's a sign i go it is a sign and all these pagans on the bushes like, and it was like ah You would think, you would think as a pastor who's witnessed that in the midst of what I've been going through, I'd ask him for something, but I don't feel worthy of a sign. And he says, ask me for a sign, anything you want. And this is his response in verse 12. He says, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. What? This man, his entire life has tested the Lord. He killed his son. He set up pagan altars. You want to test God? He's tested God the entirety of his life. We've all been testing him the entirety of our life. And now God wants to get a hold of your heart. You know why he said what he said? When he said, I will not ask nor will I test the Lord. You know why he said it? I want to tell you why you say it. When God gives you the opportunity, he's going to give you a sign today, by the way. It's going to blow your mind. It's going to be way bigger than a whale's tail. You're going to get a sign today. You're going to leave here blown away. And the reason why you don't want it is because when you get it, you got to bring your life in alignment with the God who gave it. you got to bring your life in alignment with the God who gave it. That means everything. Your sexuality, your addictions, what you've been watching, what you've been doing what you've been living for there's no more worship other than god he will not share his glory with anyone else or anything else all of us have not been in alignment you see you think that a sign will save you but you don't want a sign the bible says that light came into the world but the world loved darkness more than light It's it's not that you're blown away by the sign. You don't want it. You want your sin more than you want God. You don't want to come into alignment. Neither today has. You'd rather spin the plates, walk to the aqueduct, and borrow money to pay off the Syrians. You got this figured out. And let's, let's say you pull it off. How many more beats are left on your heart? Because even if you make it out in your own physical efforts trying to keep the plate spinning, you're still gonna die and stand before a holy God to give an accounting of your life. And we will all be without excuse because he loved you so much that he's talking to you today. And just like the woman that I was with on that boat, he wants to blow your mind about how much he loves you and what he's done on your behalf to deliver you and to save you. But for you to be saved your life will have to come in alignment with his. And a lot of you are going to check out in the course of this message because you don't want a sign. And you're going to dismiss it and try to excuse it and you're going to try to write it off. But I got news for you. You won't be able to. You're going to leave here burdened until you kneel. And God wants it that way because he knows that you need that. Come to me, God says, all you are burdened and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. What, What do you have that's heavy on your heart? Ask him for a sign. Today he'll give you one, ask him for another. Verse 13, then God said through Isaiah, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Are you kidding me? Nobody's been offered a blank check like this. He's giving you a blank check. He wants your heart. He wants to deliver you. He wants to establish you. He wants your name to be written in the Lamb's book of life. He wants to give you a hope and a future. He wants to bless you. And you're saying no? To reject so great a salvation, you're saying no? God will not strive with you forever. You only have so many heartbeats left. You're not going to live forever. Even if you cut your head off and freeze it like Ted Williams, you're not coming back. You can read that later if you don't know what I'm talking about. God will not strive with man forever. It's appointed once for a man to die, then judgment. He's given you grace. Your heart is beating so that you can be reconciled to God. So your name can be established in the Lamb's book of life. And like Ahaz, are, are, you, are you more content with being in control? Or do you want to come into alignment? Because in a moment, that question will be asked. Because you're going to be given a sign that you will not be able to deny. it will be unrefutable, undeniable. You're not getting out of here without being blown away. You see, I'm going to give you the same sign that God gave Ahaz and I can't think of anything more fitting on this before Christmas. God is gonna give you a gift. It's gonna be the greatest gift you've ever received. He says, are you going to strive with me forever? Because Ahaz, Ahaz, you have the same problem that everyone in the room today has, and everyone on this earth who has come and will come and is, is struggling with the same thing. They know the sign will blow them away, it's not that they, they just don't want to surrender. And God says, well, I'm giving a gift to the world. Behold. Verse 14. He starts with behold. You know what the word behold means? Take hold of this. Grasp it. Don't leave the earth without it. Behold. Grasp this. Take hold of it. Apprehend it understand it. Behold, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. (laughs) A virgin conceiving and bearing a son? And we shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Now, modern day scholars today, Jewish scholars like to say that the word Alma, which is used for virgin, means young woman or unmarried woman. But prior to to uh, the, the resurrection of Christ, the, the meaning in the Septuagint, the Greek Septuagint, which all Greek authors used up until that time, was called Parthenos. And the word meaning virgin, it was translated in 150 BC, a century and a half before Jesus was born. So the Jews recognized Alma as meaning virgin at that time. You know where you get the word alma mater, virgin mother? My alma mater, virgin mother. And they recognized Alma as always meaning virgin because their own Greek translation of the Old Testament betrayed their claims. Isaiah 7, 14, which is what we're reading today, is one important reason the Jewish synagogues gave up using the Septuagint and went back to the Hebrew. I don't want a sign. Mm. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now the point of this Is that Alma, virgin, Parthenos? It brings us to our final text, the second one we read. It's Christmas time. Now, the birth of Jesus was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, meaning no sexual relation, she was a virgin. She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid or shake like a tree in the wind to take to you, Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Joshua, Yeshua, Jehovah, God saves. Not Jehovah, but Yeshua. God saves. Verse 22, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled, proven, established. Which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah 714, hundreds of years earlier. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. We needed a man to pay man's sins. The wages of sin is death. We needed a holy man to die that was without sin so he could pay the penalty for all sins, past, present, and future. When Jesus died on that cross, not the exact one behind me, but one similar, when he died on that cross, he paid the penalty for all sins. His death on the cross was sufficient for all the world's sins, but only efficient for those who would want their name established today and written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And by faith, you would receive that. That's a big step of faith. You're telling me that God left the glory of heaven's throne for the humiliation of an earthly cross to die there in my place to pay the penalty for my sins so that I'd be set free and his righteousness would be put on my account and my sins would be as scarlet and then be washed as white as snow and cast as far as the east is from the west? Yes. Man, that's a tough one to embrace. Can you give me a sign? Can you give me some proof? Yes, behold. 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 And the word spoken through Isaiah in the midst of the crowd at the Fuller's Field by the aqueduct and hundreds have heard it and maybe even thousands and Ahaz himself heard it. What was heard then has been heard for thousands of years since. You see, to be born of a virgin and bear a son, his name would be called Emmanuel, God with us. That's a powerful statement. First of all, I don't know any virgin has ever given birth. You want to dismiss that. Alfred Edersheim said there's 456 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament, meaning Messiah, speaking of Jesus in the Old Testament. 456 of these prophecies. He said 100 of those are dealing with his first coming. He said 48 of those are so specific it's ridiculous. Very specific prophecies of Jesus' coming, his first coming. 48 of them, so specific and uh, Peter Stoner wrote a book dealing with mathematical probabilities. Also, Dr. Jeffries did the same thing. In addition, uh, if you, Lee Strobel, Case for Christ, an amazing book. He went through a, a myriad of these and, and declared them uh, for folks to, to read and, and to comprehend. There's a book called The Signature of God by Grant, Dr. Grant Jeffries if you ever want to read it. And this goes into greater detail. I'm not going to bore you. I'm limited in time. But today, I want to talk about mathematical probability because you have now been given a sign. And I want to show you how significant this sign is so that when you leave here today, you have two options. Love the darkness more than the light or embrace the God who's given you a sign that will blow your mind and bring your life into alignment (laughs) with his. It's Christmas time. You see, Jesus is the only one in all of history who could have fulfilled these messianic prophecies. There's no one else who was or is coming that can do it. Mathematical probability is what insurance companies work on. It's cheaper to buy life insurance when you're 25 than it is when you're 65 because you have a greater propensity to die at 65 than you do at 25. They bank their entire insurance industry on those mathematical probabilities. They bank on that. Mathematical probabilities are real simple. Um, Last night uh, there was a football game. Brett told me, did you see the game? I said, I couldn't. I had to leave for the sake of my marriage. Um, (laughs) Laughter yeah, <laughs> come on, give me a hug, man. No, I'm just kidding. My wife is an avid Niner fan. My father-in-law, who is with us, is an avid Niner fan. My mother-in-law, avid Niner fan. And uh, I was watching the game, and the Chargers were getting blown away. And and uh, you know our quarterback is awful, and I get irritated with all the interceptions. But they, at the beginning of the game, at the beginning of the game, they flip a coin. And, and the coin, you know, it's it one in two chance of being whatever you're going to call, heads or tails. So the mathematical probability, flip the coin. And they call it, and then the team that gets the coin toss right gets to choose whether they receive or they kick off what side of the field they want, et cetera. This is the coins flipped, right? Right? Now, what are, what are the mathematical probabilities of flipping the coin ten times and ten times it coming up heads? Well, the first time would be one in two. Second time be one in four. Then be one in... 8, 1 in 16, 1 in 32, 1 in 64, 1 in 128, 1 in 256, 1 in 512, and 1 in 1046, I think. Or 1024. So 10 times being heads 10 times is 1 in 1024. Pretty intense astronomical mathematical probability. Another way to put it is um, my grandson. My, my, my son-in-law is half black My daughter is I think all white which (laughs) which makes my grandson a quarter a quarter black so let's say that the odds of somebody in the room of 10 boys uh one in 10 are a quarter black just for statistical purposes probability one in 10 are are a quarter black now my my grandson has blue eyes so let's say one out of every 10 quarter black children have blue eyes. Well, now, how many people do we need? This is where you get exponential. This is, this is where, you know, it increases. How many people do you need to have one child quarter black with blue eyes? You need 100 people. So it's one in 100. Because you multiply one in 10 by 10. So it's 100 Everybody got that? Okay. So now we've established that and I'm thoroughly thoroughly bored you. Let's begin. I'm going to rapidly go through. Now there's 48 specific prophecies. I'm going to go rapidly go through uh, 17 of them. Real quick. Psalm 41.9 reads, even my own. Oh, excuse me. I lost track of it. Here it is. I did have it. I lost it. Oh, here it is. Micah 5 2, excuse me. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathath, uh, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the, the one to be ruler of Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. Speaking that Christ would be born in Bethlehem of a virgin. Bethlehem. From the J- tribe of Judah. So, J- Judah, there's 12 tribes, it's 1 and 12. Um, if we look at that and we think, there's two Bethlehems at the time that this was written, so one and two times 12, and then how many people in the course of existence have come from Bethlehem? Uh, you would say there's, over, there's probably over 200,000 at the time of the writing. Uh, there's been average of six to 10,000 living in Bethlehem in the course of that, so just conservatively speaking, let's say 1 in 2,400 people would be, would be uh, from, the lion, uh, from the tribe of Judah, from the town of Bethlehem, uh, 1 in 2,400. So 1 in 12 is, is a tribe, uh, 1 in 2 because there's two towns multiplied by 1 in 240. And so that's a lot, yes? yes. And we, we know that that was fulfilled in Luke 3.33, um, and, then, and then it comes to Isaiah 40, verse 3. It says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way the Lord makes straight in the desert a highway for our God. It talks about John the Baptist, somebody who go before you. It was fulfilled in Matthew chapter 3. Uh, so you, you have somebody born in Bethlehem who's going to be born of a virgin, who's going to be from the tribe of Judah, and, and uh, he's going to have somebody who's going to go before him. So how many kings have gone before? Uh, we're looking at that. We're thinking, okay, let's just, let's just say 1 in 20. So 1 in 2,400 times 20 is 1 in 48,000. And then um, Zechariah 9.9 9 says that he would, he would come in on a colt. Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He's just and having salvation. Lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So how many people, kings from Bethlehem, tribe of Judah out of one of 12, uh, born of a virgin, which is, I don't even know how to put something on that. And, and riding on a donkey. Let's just conservatively say one in 50. It's probably one in 50. Five hundred thousand. Well, let's just say one in fifty, and so you go one in fifty, uh, riding on a colt. So forty-eight thousand times fifty would be two million four hundred thousand. And at this point, we are now at three of the seventeen prophecies. Psalm forty-one nine. Even my own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. He's going to be betrayed by a friend. Fulfilled in Matthew twenty-six. How many people have been betrayed by a friend? Let's just say 1 in 10. (laughs) 240 million times 10 is 24 million. 2,400,000 times 10 is 24 million. His hands would be pierced and his feet, that's in Psalm 22 verse 16 for dogs have surrounded me the congregation of the wicked has enclosed me they pierced my hands and my feet fulfilled in luke 24 so how many people have had their hands and feet pierced let's just say one in a hundred what are the odds right i mean we're looking at a room of more than 100 anyone had your hands and feet who are from tri- tribe of judah from bethlehem born in bethlehem virgin anybody anybody bueller bueller okay so 24 million times 100 is 2.4 billion. Now we are at five prophecies. He would be wounded by his enemies, Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. A chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes he we are healed, fulfilled in John 20. So how many people have been wounded by their enemies? Let's just say one in 10. So 2.4 billion times 10 is 24 billion. And then we look at uh, Zechariah eleven twelve that says, Then I said to them, If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And the prophecy is that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, which Judah did. It was portrayed in Matthew 26, fulfilled, I should say. How many people have been tra- betrayed for specifically 30 pieces of silver? Nobody in this room, but let's just go one in 50. <laughs> that would be 1200000000000 now, as we multiply that. As we multiply the 24 billion by 50, that's 1 trillion, 200 billion. Now let's go to prophecy number eight. He would be spit upon and beaten. This was in Isaiah. Uh, They would mock him and they would spit upon him. Um, So what is that? One in 10, they'd pull his beard out of his face. So 1 trillion, 200 billion times 10 now makes it 12 trillion to one. Uh, Let's go quickly. Um, He'd be betrayed for money and the money would be thrown into the temple and then put out in the potter's field. Um, we look at that that's in Zechariah eleven thirteen, 13 fulfilled in Matthew 27 how many people have had that 30 pieces of silver thrown in the temple and then thrown in the potter's field let's just say 1 in 200 so 12 trillion times 200 I think you're getting the idea Isaiah 10 he would be silent before his accusers he would open not his mouth Pilate would declare this that's Isaiah 53 it would be spoken of in John He'd be crucified with thieves. Matthew or Isaiah 53, Matthew 27. Let's just say that's one in a hundred. You multiply that one. They would gamble for his clothing. How many people have had their clothing gambled? Who were also born of a virgin? Who were from the town of Bethlehem? Let's just say one in a hundred. That's Psalm 22 fulfilled in John 19. His side would be pierced. Zechariah fulfilled in John 19. That's one in a hundred. None of his bones would be broken. Even though his hands would be pierced, his feet would be pierced, none of his bones would be broken, Psalm 34, uh, fulfilled in John. His body would not decay. (laughs) I haven't met anybody yet who assumes room temperature, whose body doesn't decay. Let's just say that's one in 10,000. Burial in a rich man's tomb. Anyone scheduled to be buried in Bill Gates' tomb when you die? I don't think so, but let's just say it's one in 100. We could go one in 100,000, but we'll go one in 100. Here's a good one. This is number 17. Darkness would cover The earth. It was fulfilled. The darkness would cover the earth. It was fulfilled. You look at Roman history and they declare throughout the known Roman empire that there was a day recorded uh, 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 throughout the entirety of the Roman empire where there was darkness that filled the earth. It wasn't even during an eclipse. What's the odds of that? Let's just conservatively say one in a thousand. I've lived on the earth 50 years, haven't seen it yet. So what do we come up with? Well, we're at 480 billion times one billion times a trillion would be 480 billion with 30 zeros following it. It's an absurd number. And that's just 17 of the 48. You want me to keep going? I can really bore you to death. My point is this. If you were to take that chance, that one in 480 billion with 30 zeros following it, and make that one chance a grain of sand... You could fill the entire milky way galaxy with sand it's a hundred thousand light years in distance the milky way galaxy that means if you're traveling at the speed of light 186,000 miles per second it would take you a hundred thousand years to get from one end to the other and fill it with sand with the probability of that and as you're in the starship enterprise and it breaks down you get out you pick up a grain of sand it's that one that's for 17 of the 48 And so we close today with this. Is it really a sign you're looking for? Because you just got it. Two women were dressed in their finest and they were having lunch together in a very exclusive restaurant and a friend saw them and came over to their table to greet them. What's a special occasion, she asked. And one of the women said, oh, we're having a birthday party for the baby in our family. He's two years old today. But where's the baby, the friend asked. The child's mother answered, oh, I dropped him off at my mother's house. She's taking care of him until the party's over. It wouldn't have been any fun with him here. How ridiculous, right? A birthday celebration for a child who wasn't welcome at his own party. Yet when you stop to think about it, that's no more foolish than going through Christmas season with all its festivities without remembering the one whose birth we were supposed to be honoring. Come on, folks, it's Christmas. God loves you. He loves you so much he gave you a sign that is blowing your mind. And it's not proof you need. You've gotten that. You just got to quit loving the darkness and start loving the light. And this glorious light has come into the world so that Christmas could be unlike any other Christmas you've ever had. It's time to bring our life in alignment with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? Amen? Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for this time. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, we come to this place in the service where we've been given a sign. And Lord, you want our name to be established. And we can't reject so great a salvation. And today, the way that we receive Christ as our Savior, the way in which we embrace this sign, the way in which we bring our life into alignment with you, O God, and to declare that there is nothing fashioned against me that will, will stand, that I am strong in Christ and I don't have to work with my natural resources to somehow save my life. I can call upon the King of kings and the Lord of lords and say, God, save me. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, quietly, without uttering it loudly, I want you just to say this in your own heart. Jesus, I'm a sinner and I know that I can't save myself. I now believe that Christ died in my place on the cross in order to forgive me of my sins. I know that Christ rose from the dead and lives today, and I confess my sins to you, and I repent, and I put my faith in you to save me. I want you to save me for all eternity and establish my name in the Lamb's book of life. Thank you, God, for giving me eternal life. And therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And for all of you who prayed that prayer in your heart, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Welcome to the family of God and Merry Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.